Okay, now we're good. All right, guys, what's going on? I'm just waiting for the YouTube simulcast to start. Let me make sure that I'm all good here. Bear with me a second. Just technical stuff. There we go. Okay, cool. All right, so we're ready to rock. Uh, good morning, everybody. It is November 13th, 2021. My name is Carlos Garcia. I'm the founder and CEO of GAR Capital. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Or if you're watching on YouTube on the simulcast, thank you again. Uh, it's been a while since I've done a podcast. Uh, usually on YouTube, I just do the morning note every morning, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. But today, uh, it's a good one for a podcast. So good time. So here we go. And depending on how this is received, if you guys like it and you want more, you know, feel free to let us know on Instagram, Twitter, uh, or on YouTube if you do enjoy this uh, podcast. Again, your support is the most important thing. This is your channel. We talk about what you you guys want to talk about. So let's rock and roll. So today's episode, why we are still bullish part three. This is part three. So we have been bullish for a minute, obviously, permabull GAR capital. I know, I know. So uh, I want to start this podcast slash YouTube simulcast by showing the report that I typed up with the team uh, yesterday. I want to type up an actual report and go over it together. So uh, this report will be sent to Investment Club. If there is a strong demand for the report, then we can work on sending that out uh, probably on the website, if anything. But again, if you actually want to see the details of the report, it will be on YouTube. I'll just be reading it, basically giving my commentary as we go forward. So sit back, relax. Uh, if you have a pen and paper handy, by all means, take notes. And uh, let's go ahead and begin. Okay, so why we, are bull why we are bullish part three. Welcome aboard. So here is the report on YouTube if you guys are watching. Uh, if you are watching or listening, I'll just read it. So it is a PDF format report, and uh, we're going to go ahead and read it. So let's go ahead and do it. This is basically my script for the most part. So let's start with it. Our call. So just a heads up, we will be increasing our S&P 500 target for the year 2022 to 5,000. This target is obviously fluid. Now, when I talk about being fluid, I talk about that if it hits, you know, it's not going to just stay there. Obviously, our target is that it's going to actually hit. So that's what I mean by fluid. But this would indicate a 6.38% increase from 4,700. Right now, the S&P is right around 4,682 as of Friday close. If we were to increase this range to a best bull case scenario, we, were looking, we are looking at a 5,200 S&P, which in turn would be a gain of 10.63%. So let's go ahead and break this down in terms of sections for our podcast listeners. If you're watching on YouTube, you can actually see what I'm about to say. So again, we are still bullish. Let's leave it at that. So if we started with the call, you can write that down if you like. So let's go ahead and start looking back and looking forward. Since we did our podcast, which was August 23rd, 2020, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcast, like the Anchor app, which the podcast was called Why We Are Still Bullish, the S&P 500 hit fresh all-time highs. And if you were long on that date of the podcast, you would be up 37% uh, if you were just holding SPY or S&P 500. Our first podcast call in the episode, Why We're Bullish, was on May 8th, 2020, during the throes of the COVID-19 pandemic. During March of the same year, we all know that the panic gripped the markets as we saw a near 37% decline peak to trough. Our buy level was 2300 on the S&P 500, as that was the same level we had at the bottom of December 2018, when the Fed decided to raise the Fed funds rate. 
Looking back, it was a tough call to make publicly and to our clients, obviously. But the belief in the U.S. economy bouncing back and technical patterns suggested a bounce back on a very pronounced and sharp reaction to the pandemic itself globally. As we wind down towards the end of 2021, we are still with the bullish thesis in terms of U.S. equities and a continuation of a favorable backdrop in the U.S. economy. So just want to give you guys a heads up before we begin. Here's our disclaimer. Again, all this information is used at your leisure. Obviously, uh, use proper risk management as always. You know, any kind of questions, we're here to help. But again, this is still just our opinion as a company. So again, we know the drill in terms of risk management, in terms of all the information that you use. Feel free to do your own research if need be. But again, this is just our opinion as a company. So just a heads up before I begin, I'm going to go ahead and give you some, some statistics and facts, facts. And then the commentary, I will let you know the commentary on the report. It says the commentary will be in italics, meaning like sideways uh, letters. So let's start with the tailwinds, meaning the favorable factors of our thesis. The headwinds, unfavorable or risk factors towards being bullish, will be explained on a detail in a separate report. So let's go ahead and pause there for a second. Now, again, not everything is roses. We know this. You know, there's a lot of things to talk about in terms of inflation, in terms of the Fed, and in terms of many other things like valuations. But we're just going to focus on the bullish case or favorable case for our thesis, uh, what we call the tailwinds for the market. Again, if this podcast does well and you guys enjoy it, then I'll type up another report talking about the headwinds or the unfavorable risk factors towards being bullish. Uh, just a heads up. So again, uh, smash that like button. If you're on YouTube, comment that you want to see the next report. Again, it's really based on you guys on demand. Let's go ahead and start with the earnings cycle. Uh, so again, this is as of Friday, November 12th. So again, I'm going by the statistics here. So our earnings cycle, 400 out of 451 out of 500 S&P companies are reporting, have reported in terms of year over year. Uh, revenue increase, this is year over year, guys. Revenue growth is up 17.4%, 451 S&P companies reporting. Companies beating revenue estimates, 77% of companies reporting beat their estimates. Companies beating their earnings estimates, 82% of companies' earnings beat their estimates. EPS, earnings per share growth, is up 39.1%. Q3 of 2021, $53.47. This is the totality of the S&P 500s that companies that have reported based per share of S&P 500. The S&P 500 forward earnings is at $215.22. Here's where we're going into sales. Out of the 82% of the S&P reporting, sales are up 13% on a year-over-year basis, driven by healthcare, technology, and industrials. All of these sectors have double-digit growth. Sales are actually 6% higher than it was pre-pandemic, which was Q4 of 2019. So that's our earnings cycle report. Next, we talk about margins and profitability. Margins keep expanding, 13.2% now. Pre-pandemic margins were 11.2%. The prior peak before that was 12.1% in Q3 of 2018. So keep in mind that our margins, profit margins on the S&P 500 companies are higher than it was pre-pandemic. Profit growth. Profit growth is up 56% year over year and up 45% pre-pandemic, Q4 of 2019. None of this was attributed back to uh, share buybacks by companies. Here's my commentary. Buybacks are a good way to reduce supply of shares in the market and in turn boost share prices to give the illusion of value generation. This always doesn't work. Example, IBM. Feel free to take a look at IBM's buybacks. It's a very, very interesting one. 
to continue the commentary, as you can see with these numbers, these are very healthy. Major corporations are growing and beating their estimates with strong sales and profitability. Great to see. Let's go into fundamentals, guys. Back to commentary. A good way to quantify, quote, good or better fundamentals is to look at sales growth and profit expansion. As stated above in terms of profitability, there's many ways to increase profits, guys. Cutting workforce, increasing prices, share buybacks, etc. With this information shown below, we can see that the S&P 500 isn't driven solely on valuation, cost per share, or totality of value of the companies in terms of market capitalization. Over the past two years, the S&P 500 has gained 45%, but the fundamentals do account for 73% of the totality of these said gains. This is the facts. Based on the change of the S&P 500 index in terms of GAAP, or generally accepted accounting principles, numbers quarter three of 2019 to quarter three 2021. Here's some of the numbers. 54% of the gain in the value of the S&P is based on margin increases, profit, 27% in valuation increase, gain in stock prices, and 19% is of that total number is gains in sales, volume of sales. So here's the commentary. Margin expansion plus sales growth tells the story here as companies are getting healthier in terms of their operations. Again, obviously bullish to see. Now let's start talking about historical data. Historical data. The S&P 500 in 2021 has made 65 new all-time highs, the second most ever, and only 1995 had more. In 1995, we were in the middle of the, quote, great expansion of the 1990s bull market, which lasted from October 1990 to March 2000, uh, as you guys know, the dot-com boom. With a market performance of 417% in the S&P 500 during that period. Granted, uh, this is commentary. Granted, based on historical data, this performance was in the middle of a bull market, as we know. Continuation of my commentary. Obviously, we know, quote, past performance will not indicate future results, but it is something to watch for. This kind of equity US, US equity performance would not indicate a slowdown, historically speaking. Then let's go ahead and talk about the mac macroeconomic backdrop. So all of this data is from FRED, which is the St. Louis Federal Reserve data. Just a heads up. Let's talk about GDP, gross domestic product. From 2019 to current fiscal year 2021, the dates will be stated here below. This is on top of the report, so I'll just read it to you. YouTube guys, you can see. Starting January 1st, 2019, this is pre-pandemic. The GDP readings were for Q1, 0.9% growth. Q2, 1.37% growth. Q3, 1.01% growth. Q4, 0.88% growth. The aggregate for 2019 GDP growth was 4.11% GDP growth. Let's take a look at GDP readings 2020, starting January 1st, 2020. Here's my commentary. Keep in mind the skew due to the coronavirus economic shutdown, obviously. So let's talk about it. Q1. Let me get a sip of water. Excuse me. Q1. GDP in 2020, down 0.98%. A negative reading. Q2. Negative 9.32%. Two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, GDP growth is, by definition, a recession. We'll start getting to that here in a second. Q3, we gained 8.52% in GDP. And in Q4, we gained 1.6% in GDP. The aggregate for 2020 GDP growth, guys, for 2020, is negative 2.24% GDP growth. This is the first annual GDP reading in the negative since 2009 post-financial crisis, where the reading was negative 2.6 GDP. So the GDP back in 2009 post-financial crisis was actually worse than the coronavirus uh, GDP growth or negative GDP growth. Now we look into 2021. Now keep in mind, guys, granted the year has not ended. We're still in November 13th. 
So here's the most recent updated photo, uh, uh, figures. Excuse me. GDP starting 2021. This is January 1st, 2021. Here's the GDP readings. Q1 up 2.61%. Q2 up 3.19%. Q3 up 1.9%. Here's the commentary. Since the year isn't over, we really can't give an accurate aggregate number for GDP of 2021. I'm sure you guys can understand. Here's some more commentary. <clears throat> but the three quarters have been, that have been reported are showing growth. The economy is bouncing back in terms of year-over-year readings in comparison to a year during the pandemic. But as we can see, compared to 2019, the GDP growth is there. If we can compare GDP growth in terms of dollars, I think that's a little easier for people than just percentages. 2019 versus 2021. Q3 of 2019 was $21.5 trillion in GDP. Q3 of 2021 was $23.17 trillion in GDP for a growth which shows an increase of 10.2% if we compare 2019 to 2021. So there you go. Uh, keep in mind that a comparison of, 29, of 2020 to 2021 in terms of growth is a little, di- a little dicey to do because we in 2020, we had a complete economic shutdown. So again, keep in mind when you're looking at these numbers for 2021, but again, growth is important. Let's take a look at unemployment data. Back to 2019 to 2021 data. In 2019, unemployment was a very healthy commentary. in the beginning of 2019 in January. At its lows of that year, which is 2019, we were at 3.5% unemployment for September through February of 2020. Uh, This is commentary. As uh, COVID-19 shut down the economy is where the numbers get skewed, obviously. We hit a top of unemployment of 14.8% in April 2020, which is the highest unemployment reading since the financial crisis of 2009. Starting to notice a pattern. In 2021, as the last reading shows, we're at 4.6% unemployment. This is as of October 2021. So we have seen unemployment improve from 2019 levels from 2020. Here's the commentary. Now, this is where it gets important. I want you guys to really focus on this. You can run their light this down, on the, uh, screenshot this or write this down. Now, this growth in GDP and lower unemployment is not without consequence. As we will illustrate in the headwind section, the next report, Federal Reserve and Monetary Policy. This will be broken down in a future report. Again, we'll talk about this with headwinds or risk factors towards the market on the next report, if you guys would like to see that. Now let's take a look at the low rate, inch, low interest rate environment. Let's take a dive into interest rates or the cost of borrowing money. Here is the commentary. With this, we will focus on the 10-year treasury yield as this is a good benchmark for corporate bond issuance, the ticker LQD. High yield credit, which is ticker HYG, consumer loans such as mortgages. Credit and liquidity is so vital to our economy, guys, and future growth. So it goes without saying the importance of these factors. So let's talk about the average yield for 2019. On the 10-year treasury yield was 2.14%. The average yield in 2020 was 0.89%. The average yield for 2021 so far is 1.44%. That's the average yield so far this year. If you want to take a look at the average yield, so the yield right now in the 10-year yield as of November 13th is 1.582%. Here's more commentary. With these numbers, we can see that demand for bonds or the inclination to lend money is still strong. Bond prices and yields move inverse of each other. Yields lower means bond prices are up, indicating a stronger demand with the understanding that higher prices on any asset is due to stronger demand and shrinking supply, all things being equal. Again, the basis of supply and demand. So there's the note in regards to bond yields and bond prices and and borrowing costs and what have you. Let's talk about the history of bull markets and their length. This is a little more of a history lesson. I think you guys would enjoy this. We'll be going back to 1947. 
This is the max length shown according to Fred, which is the St. Louis Federal Reserve. Based on recession history, as we stated before, again, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, here is the list of recessions and the length of time based on this understanding. Q4 1948 to Q4 1949 lasted about one full year. Q3 1953 to Q2 1954 lasted less than a year. Q3 1957 to Q2 1958 less than a year. Q2 1960 to Q1 1961 less than a year. Again, this is the length of the recessions. Q1 1970 to Q4 1970 same year less than a year. Q1 1974 to Q2 1975 lasted more than a year. Q1 1980 to Q3 1980 less than a year. Q3 1981 to Q4 1982 over a year. So again, pretty close recessions there, literally a couple of uh, quarters apart. Q3 1990 to Q2 1991, less than a year lasted. Q2 2001 to Q4 2001, lasted less than a year. Q1 2008 to Q2 2009, lasted more than a year. That's the financial crisis. Q1 2020 to Q2 2020, that's the coronavirus uh, uh, recession. Keep in mind, this was the shortest recession in the last 100 years which was Q1 2020 to Q2 2020. Now let's take a look at the data, guys. The average length of these recessions since 1948 has been 2.6 quarters. The shortest time between recessions, again, since 1947, has been Q3 1980 until Q3 1981. This is the shortest time in between recessions. That was four quarters or one year. The longest period of time between recessions was Q2 2009 until Q1 2020. That's 43 quarters or nearly 11 years. Average time period between recessions, this is the average time, is about 5.8 years or around 23 quarters. So here's the commentary. With this historical data, we can conclude on average that we have some time before another recession or falling economic growth. The last recession, COVID recession, ended in Q2 2020 according to the data. So we are currently in the sixth quarter in between recessions. We can conclude here based on the data that we are not in the shortest time between recession between recessions according to the analog of 1980. Keep in mind that was the closest time in between recessions. If we are on average time, or we're on the average time analog. This is just based on averages. The bull market that we are currently in should continue based on historical patterns for another 17 quarters. So that would be a target of Q3 of 2026 would be the next recession or two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. If we were to base it on just the last two economic boom cycles, this is where it gets interesting, which were now these, the last two economic boom cycles lasted 10 years and 11 years respectively. Then we are looking at a Q2 2030 to Q1 2031. Granted, these are assumptions based on past historical readings of GDP in recessions. What happens next remains to be seen. This is just the data, guys. Let's move on to consumer spending. Here's some commentary. 60% of GDP is consumer spending. So the U.S. consumer really is the key to the economic engine of growth. Money velocity here is at the forefront as spending is a faster driver of economic growth than investing itself. Let's take a look at consumer spending that we can, that we can track, actually, with data via credit card spending. So this is according to J.P. Morgan credit card spending volume. We're going to start with Q3 2018. Q3 2018, JP Morgan credit card spending volume, $176 billion. Q3 of 2019, $193.6 billion. Q3 in 2020, $178.1 billion. Q2 of 2021, 
223.7 billion, and Q3 of 2021, 232 billion. So if we take a look at Q3 2021, we're up 20% on credit card spending alone on a two-year, year-over-year basis. This is accelerating from 16% on a two-year basis from Q2 2021. Now, keep in mind, I'm going to talk about stimulus this year. Let's talk about it here. The U.S. had, the United States had six, six stimulus packages passed where only three of these packages had direct payments to Americans in forms of stimulus checks. $1,200 per person and $500, for the, $500 per child for the first. The second was $600 per person available to those making less than $75,000 a year. The final one was March 2021, $1,400 per person making less than $75,000 per year plus $1,400 per dependent. The amount of payment decreased for those with a higher income, $75,000, and phased out to those making more than $100,000. Unemployment benefits were also increased and lengthened as well, as we know. Child tax credits were given $2,000 to $3,000 per qualifying child aged 6 to 17 and $3,600 for each child under the age of 6. Unemployment benefits were also free from taxation with incomes under $150,000 a year. Also, keep in mind, we also had PPP loans and uh, we also had a uh, student student loan moratorium. We also had an eviction moratorium. So again, we're just going to kind of focus here on the stimulus packages in terms of money going directly to taxpayers. So again, that's what we're going to focus on here. So here is the uh, actual commentary. These stimulus legislations were implemented in Q, in Q1 2020. Uh, uh, 2020, excuse me. These stimulus legislations were implemented 2020 to Q1 of 2021, with the last stimulus being implemented in March 2021. We have now eight months of of this added money being digested in the economy. So the idea of all this spending is basically solely on government stimulus is unfounded based on the data given. Again, I don't know how long someone can, this is commentary, can someone, you know, live on two grand for eight months. I highly doubt that has any, any kind of inclination or any change in terms of credit card spending from the data that we just saw. So with that being said, we had a lot of stuff that we talked about, a lot of information here. So let's talk about the conclusion. We are sticking with our bullish thesis here in regard to the market in the US economy. Earnings, rate environment, historical data, improving economic backdrop, and the consumer are all strong factors to support our view. With that being said, our S&P 500 by the end of the year was already beat by up to 4,700. That was our target by the end of the year. We'll be increasing our S&P 500 target for 2022 to 5,000, as we said before, the target is is obviously fluid in terms that if it breaks it, if it do, if it breaks it, if it stays above it, what have you. But this would indicate an indicate a 6.38 percent increase from 4,700. Right now, we're at 4,682. If we were to increase this range to the best bull case scenario, then we're looking at 5,200 S&P 500 by the end of 2022, which would indicate a gain of 10.63 percent in from 4,700. Now let's talk about a little more of historical patterns here. On average, the S&P 500 index, give me a second. Okay. On average, the S&P 500 index has gained 10 10 to 11% from the period of 1926 to 2018. The average annual return since adopting the 500 stocks into the index in 1957 through 2018 has been 8%. So we can consider 8% being basically average. So for 2022, we're being a little less than average, just a heads up. But again, we were up so handily this year. So here's a note from Charles Schwab. In 2016, Charles Schwab analyzed the market data going back to, okay, oh, sorry. Let's go ahead and backtrack a little bit. Something to look at as well for 2022. That's why we're being 
we're bullish, but again, we're going to be a little more conservative with our targets, is that we have the 2022 midterm election cycle. Here's Charles Schwab in, in regards to that. In 2016, Charles Schwab analyzed market data going back to 1950 and found that in general, the third year of the presidency overlapped with the strongest market gains. The S&P 500, a fairly broad index of stocks, exhibited the following average returns in each year of the presidential cycle. The year after the election, that would be this uh, 2021, 6.5% is on average. We beat that. I think we're at around 26%, and we only have a month left, a little over a month. The second year is up 7%. So this would actually meet our S&P 500 target based on historical patterns. The third year, 16.4% gained the S&P 500 on average. The fourth year is up 6.6% on average. So you can see that's where we are. Usually the third year tends to be best. With that being said, this is our analysis based on underlying economic backdrop and historical patterns. A lot to talk about. I know it's a lot of information. So again, feel free to rewind, write these notes down and what have you. So again, 2021 was a great year for being bullish. Now it's on to 2022. So here are our sources for our data. Thank you very much to Investopedia, LPL Research, FRED, which is the St. Louis Federal Reserve, JP Morgan, FactSet, and Charles Schwab for this information. It was a mouthful, guys. So again, this is why we are bullish. Part three, the third time we've done this podcast, but again, we came in with a lot more data. So again, we appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast. It was actually a pretty quick one. I thought it'd be a little longer. I hope you enjoy Please subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Please subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for joining me uh, uh, today, November 13th, 2021. Thank you again for your support. GAR Capital, FX is our website. Thanks again, guys. Have a great rest of your weekend. We'll catch you next time.